Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Darcy Steiner. Darcy J. Steiner has served in the ministry as a teen and women's ministry leader, as well as assisted with church plants in Denver and Los Angeles. In 2001, Darcy nearly lost her life after a debilitating fall down the stairs in her home. During her recovery, she earned her Master of Science degree in holistic nutrition and implemented natural remedies into her diet and lifestyle that helped save her life. When Darcy became disabled a second time after a foot injury in 2018, she turned her focus towards ministry again by writing her debut book, Beauty Beyond the Thorns, Discovering Gifts in Suffering and its Companion Study Guide. Darcy and her husband have two adult daughters and one baby granddaughter. They live in the Denver area. Welcome to the podcast, Darcy. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, I was noticing two daughters and a granddaughter. No, no sons or grandsons. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's still a possibility for a grandson, but not yet. Lots of girls. Yeah, wonderful. So I'm sure people would like to hear your story. So why don't you tell it to us? Well, thank you. Um, well, I'm disabled, first of all. I have been unable to walk for three plus years now. Um, but I was also, my story begins about 20 years ago. And that I referred to in my bio is when I fell down the stairs. My kids were two and a half and five. And we wanted to listen to some Christmas music. And uh, unfortunately, it was upstairs. So I ran upstairs to get cassette tapes. Yes, that ages me. Um, so I ran up the stairs to get the, the Christmas music and run back down. But I slipped on a piece of paper that was on the stairs, a drawing of one of my girls. And um, I was tumbling and I had a baby gate up at the bottom of the steps. And I remember thinking in my brain, it's funny how the brain works so fast, but it was like, if you crash into that, you're going to get hurt. And so I hurtled over it somehow and got hurt. <laughs> if I had crashed through it, I probably would have just landed and been okay. But there was a wall there. So I slammed into a wall and then twisted and face planted into the ground. and. Um, yeah, so I injured my back, um, was down on the floor for a while, and my daughters were like, Mommy, are you okay? And you don't tell your kids you're not okay. Uh, you tell them, sure, honey, I'm fine. <laughs> um, so I slowly got up. You know, I don't remember some details, honestly, about that. I don't know if it was trauma or what, but I'm not sure how long I was on the floor. Um, so my husband comes home and, you know, life goes on for a while for the first year. Um, I had back pain, but I was able to walk. And the bad decision was going to play a volleyball game. Um, I had a volleyball team and I went to go play this game. And I went up for a spike, which I shouldn't have done with a back injury, but I did. 
And that was kind of the last straw. And I started spending more time in bed. Um, and as I was in bed, the longer I was in bed, I developed a, a syndrome called complex regional pain syndrome. And what that is, is it's a nerve pain disorder that affects the entire body. And it's a disorder that causes you to feel pain about 10 times more than the average person. So something that would hurt you and you'd get over it like a sprained ankle or an injured back, you know, you'd get over it. Um, is excruciating pain. So I could not even bear the weight of a sheet, which is pretty typical uh, for CRS, um, complex regional pain syndrome uh, patients. So imagine that with two young kids. And that's kind of where my story begins, the emotional trauma and the physical trauma. It was day to day. And my pain got me to the point after two years of this day-to-day -day pain, I begged God to take me. I just, I had my, my family and I had these mixed feelings of, I don't want to leave my family. And I wasn't suicidal, but I also didn't know how I would get through the next day. I just, I didn't know how I was going to do it. And so feeling that day after day just wears on you. And I, I couldn't be a mom to my kids how I wanted to be a mom. And I couldn't be a wife for my husband the way I always imagined that I would be um, or wanted to be. So this was just gut-wrenching pain that uh, I needed some grace for. And what helped me um, after two years of this was, was recommended that I go to a therapy pool. Uh, and I did that. And I had also ordered books before my fall for a master's program in holistic nutrition. And thankfully, I had already received some of those books. And I started reading, I began reading little bit by little bit because I could only sit up for very short periods of time. So I read and tried to help myself get better because I had gone to so many doctors who did not know how to help me. I was just, I didn't know where to go. And my, my therapist was actually like, why do you keep going? said, why don't you take responsibility? And so I began reading these books and implementing nutritional and other holistic ideas, you know, like meditation and visualization was really critical for me. I visualized walking again, mm. and I didn't realize how important that would be for my future. Mm. But it was, and um, so as I read, um, you know, my husband helped me implement these nutritional ideas and that together with the pool therapy 
helped me finally begin seeing some results. So that's kind of the, the beginning of, of my journey. Yeah, so um, I don't remember the letters you said, but where you have that intense pain, is there a lot of people who get that kind of pain and, and does it come after you've had an injury? You're exactly right. It does come after an injury for not very many people. The thing with CRPS, complex regional pain syndrome, it used to be called RSP, reflex sympathetic dystrophy, but I kind of like the, the acronym CRPS better because it describes it better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's not a fun thing to have, but when you get it, you know, it's rare if someone gets it, but if you do get it, it's rare that it goes away. So there are people that I know of, friends that I have made, you know, not, not real close to me, but online, who have had this syndrome for like 40 years. And I just, I can't even imagine, you know, it's called the suicide syndrome because people can't take the pain anymore. And I understand that, you know, I wasn't suicidal, but I, I did want God to, to take me. So I do understand that. But yeah, it's pretty rare. And, you know, but it, it began dissipating, which for, for me, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I think what I'm doing here is, is working and getting in the therapy pool helped give me some exercises and, you know, helped me get some of my muscle mass back because I had lost a lot of weight. And that's why I was expected to pass was because my weight had dropped so much and it was continuing to drop. So doctors didn't know if I would make it. Um, but this protein shake that my husband found um, helped me feel like eating. And so I began drinking calories, which is easier when you're in that situation. The drink calories, like ensure, you know, um, but this was a protein shake that he made. And so, you know, as I improved, I kind of became my own case study for my nutrition program. And it was a four-year program, but because of my circumstances, they gave me six years. And so I completed my, my master's degree, um, master of science degree in holistic nutrition. And I still had pain when I opened my private practice, but a couple years later, it completely disappeared. It completely disappeared. And by this time I was teaching sports nutrition at the local high school and my kids were in high school. So it was kind of fun. They, you know, I mean, they were there to see the fall in the beginning of the pain. And my youngest was too young to remember me before that. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't ever remember me being well. So it was significant that I was able to teach my kids sports nutrition along with these other kids at the high school. And I got to tell my story, you know, that 
where I was and showed them pictures. I don't have many pictures of me being in a wheelchair because I didn't want them. You know, and now I wish I had more, of course, because I'm not in some of these memories that are recorded through pictures. But um, yeah, my kids got to see me get better. And then I had, I had several years of a reprieve and focused on my nutrition and my practice and did that. And then round two came. <laughs> so um, you have any questions before I continue with that? Second? Yeah, I actually do. So um, as far as like the RSD or the thing you were talking about with it, that pain, so, um, what helped you the most? You talked about visualization. What, yeah. what, how, how did that help you? Cause I know there are other people who are, you know, have this situation. In fact, I had, um, Terry Levine on the show early on when I first started and she actually has a foundation. Okay. Um, where she raises money for children who have this. Wow. For RSD in particular? Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Okay. So how visualization helped me was, so I used to go for walks every day and I had my walk memorized. And so my therapist suggested that I continue going on my walks and to see and to smell and to feel and touch everything that I felt in, that, in those walks. And so I would walk out the door and I'd usually come back because I'd usually forget something. <laughs> so, so I'd grab my hat or sunscreen or whatever. And, and I'd imagine every single step and my walks took 40 minutes and my, my walks in my mind took 40 minutes and I would smell the air I would feel the leaves like I would on a normal walk. I'd feel pebbles under my feet. Um, I'd see the trees swaying in the wind. And on my walk, so we can see the Rocky Mountains from where we live. And so I walk down the street and then I take this turn and you can see the front range. And so I would stare at the mountains and the beauty and behold the beauty of, of God and his creation. And that I got to embrace every day, even when I wasn't walking, but my brain didn't know the difference. Mm -hmm. That's the thing my therapist taught me was your brain doesn't know any different. And so yeah, I visualize this and I still visualize it because I'm in this similar situation. And here's a tip for if you ever get nervous about having an MRI, when you're in the machine, go for a walk mm -hmm. and feel and smell. And because every time I have an MRI, I, I've had a lot of MRIs, mm -hmm. um, but it, it helps take your mind off of the claustrophobia that you can feel. But if you go for a walk, you know, you can 
I actually really enjoy MRIs now because I go for walks. <laughs> um, but in my dreams, so when I was dreaming, I started, I dreamt about being in a wheelchair, you know, and what my life was like. But after a while, my dreams shifted. And I wasn't dreaming about being in a wheelchair anymore. I was dreaming about walking. So even my dreams changed. It was just surreal and really enjoyable, you know, because I was like, do I have to dream about being disabled too? You know, because I had lost so much, you know, you lose a lot um, when you go through something like that. But I was able to gain something back. And it helped me then when I started pool therapy, I could visualize putting one foot in front of the other because your brain forgets how to walk when you don't walk for a couple of years or longer. You have to be retrained. So I had this visualization. I knew how to do it already. And so it it helps my therapy because my brain was already practicing it. That is wonderful. So I'm curious. So you were a really young mom. So how long had you been married at that point when this first accident happened? See, I was 35 when it happened and 27 when we got married. So So pretty young couple with young children and then what did your husband do for a living at the time? He worked for a big insurance company. He was the director of the, the dental program. And ironically, before the accident, so this was also around Christmas, which was a bummer, <clears throat> but he got let go because they were changing the program. <clears throat> And so he opened his own practice, his own dental discount practice um, and contracted with dentists and patient, you know, helped patients get discounts from dentists. And because he began this, he was able to be flexible with his work. So it's like, I was wondering about that because you said, you know, he became your caregiver, but I'm also thinking about just the emotional, just what was happening in his head, what was happening in your head, because, you know, um, women are usually their caregivers. The men are great at nurturing and taking care of everyone and protecting and doing their thing. But, you know, when it comes to the home, when it comes to the children, most of the time it's more women and not men and so how how if if he even shared with you how how was he feeling about this and how did he communicate that with you and how were you feeling and how you how were you communicating through all of this great question and that's delving into some deeper emotions because obviously you know, he's told your wife may not live. So he's grappling with this. How am I going to be a mom and a dad to these two children and live without my wife? He was dealing with that. Um, He was trying to work at night 
getting very little sleep so he could take care of the kids during the day because our youngest wasn't in preschool yet. Our, our older one was, but that was only half day, you know? So he had to, to do everything and, you know, make dinners. And I was upstairs. We had a house that was not conducive to disability. Let me tell you. I was stuck upstairs all the time and my bedroom was like a prison. I just felt imprisoned. And so I had a window that I looked out of, thank goodness, you know, for a window. But um, so he really became much closer to the kids. It became really a blessing because he saw them more. And they would work, he would work and they would play at his feet uh, in the basement. He had the basement finished partly to have an office downstairs. So they would play at his feet. And, you know, sometimes they would come up on the bed very gently and play on the bed with me. We worked very hard at keeping my relationship going with them. Even though I couldn't hold them, and emotionally, it was the most difficult part of the whole disability. Give me not walking for the rest of my life, okay. But take away my kids and the lack of touch, not okay. And so a lot of my pain was emotional because I was just in anguish missing my babies and that's why I was a stay-at-home mom was because I wanted to take in every moment and pour into them every moment and um, I didn't have a job goal at that time you know I didn't I just wanted to be with them and so yeah that being taken away was hard so between the two of us I could see that Mark was experiencing some depression because he's very fit and he's a runner and he started gaining some weight and he's not a beard person, but he wasn't shaving. And so that was different for him. We had, we had some fights, you know, uh, because the stress was terrible and we were trying to figure out how do we navigate this new life? So we called in some help. We just, we started asking for help and our church came to the rescue and we learned we need community. And when we're in this situation, if anybody out there is in this situation, it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to receive help. Um, and we needed it. So, and we gave it. We, you know, we gave it, we, we used to work full-time in the ministry. And so that was our job was to pour into other people. And so I think had we asked for help sooner, it would have helped some of those fights to be non-existent or at least less intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you said you would visualize going on your walks. What other things did you do to try and transform your mind because 
Um, I know so much pain in life can start out as physical, but sometimes pain even starts out as emotional for some people. So by thinking about the pain and concentrating on the pain, you know, we all know that that makes the pain stay. So what kind of things did you do as you were sitting up there in your room, in your prison, in your room, <laughs> um, to, to, to do whatever you could to try and transform that or keep your mind positive? Thank you. I, I'm a believer in God and I love the Bible. And thankfully, I had written some verses, a lot of verses on the tablet of my heart. And at that time, I needed to pull them out of my heart and believe them. Because, you know, you can read the Bible and be like, oh, well, that's a nice verse. And then mm -hmm. when you're in my situation, you can be like, oh, my gosh, that is like gold. That's a golden nugget drop down. That's a kiss from God for me. And you see it. You understand it, you know. And for me, to this day, my favorite verse is Isaiah 41.10. It says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I would say that over and over again. And it has gotten me through childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> it has gotten me through so many days of pain, but believing these verses and so many more that helped me, it was really the Bible that got me through in my relationship with God. And um, even unlearning some things, you know, about faith. So interesting on learning some things so some things you felt like you were taught or you believed after being in this situation you said that's not true yes yes because you know mark and i were were leaders in our church and we did not realize until i became disabled that there was this hierarchy um Obviously, there has to be leaders in a church, but this was an unhealthy hierarchy that we did not see because we were towards the top of it. But when, when I became disabled, it was like I became useless to the church. And people didn't know how to help us. Um, Mark had written a paper uh, for the elders and you know, we're young, we're 35, you know, 37 by the time this, you know, he's, he's five years older than me. So he's a little bit, you know, he was a little bit older, but people in our situation generally don't go through disability. Right. So they did not know how to help us. And they were not old enough to have experienced really a lot of physical pain themselves. So the fact that we were so young, was not working in our favor. Um, but what we had to unlearn was people who are at the bottom of the hierarchy are just as valuable as people who are at the top, 
we're all on an even plane. The only hierarchy there should be is God, mm-hmm. you know? And so I had to unlearn this hierarchy and regarding faith, I'm a doer. I'm a checklist person. I like checking things off. And so I think I, re- I realized I really was believing that, you know, I earned some kudos for all my good works, you know, and I didn't know that I was doing that until I realized one day when I couldn't raise myself to reach for a pencil on the bedside table, that God loves me as much right now as he did when I was serving in the soup kitchen that faith is faith. It's not works. And so that changed. Sure, we need to be doing good things and obeying the Bible, but um, but that's not what our faith is based on. And so I call it pencil faith because I realized I can't even reach for a pencil. If I can't even do that, how could God love me? And how could he love me as much as when I was serving, you know? And so I had to unlearn a lot of things and realize this upside down way of life that Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes. So, yeah, that was my unlearning. Yeah, yeah. And and so true, you know, we're just precious and valuable just because we are here just because we were created it makes us beautiful and valuable and it is easy to get into that and think oh i have to do this this and this to to look like i'm good enough or whatever but it we we really don't we just have to be we just have to be who god made us to be whoever that is mm-hmm. yeah and you know when jesus came he untaught you know, he says, you have heard that it was said. His first, his first, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he talks about, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. He says that over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. He is unteaching them and teaching them a new way. And the new way was, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you are insulted and persecuted, you know, for my name's sake. All he turned things upside down, and that's exactly what happened to me. Mm -hmm. I did not understand that way of life, that upside downness, until that began, you know, and I realized, okay, think about Jesus. Kings usually lived in palaces. Jesus was homeless. You know, where did he get his meal? He didn't, he didn't eat royal food. He probably ate a lot of fish, you know. Um, so he was he was exemplary. He was the example of what we're to be like. And I absolutely love it. I love it. And he was, you know, the Pharisees hated him because of it. 
because they were convicted to their soul so much to the point of where they wanted to kill him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were, they were hung up on the law and the law says, do not murder, but they wanted wanted to (laughs) kill him. Like, what about that? You know, what about that? You guys? (laughs) Yeah, they were doing their checklist. They were checking off and they were doing all their good works. Right. I was one of those people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so thankfully, God helped me to see this pencil faith instead. Mm -hmm. So talking about turning things upside down or turning it around, how do we take suffering in our lives and turn it upside down and make it something new? Such a, I love this question. Um, so I just wrote a book uh, that talks about these things. And I take a subject and it, they're called gifts. So I, um, I call it even the gift of brokenness, the gift of compassion, the gift of perseverance. And what it is, so I, and I also call it the upside of suffering. There are good things that we learn in suffering. For instance, when I feel like I can't go on, how do I go on? It's, it's not by my own strength because I ran out of strength a long time ago. So it's God who gives it to me to be able to persevere to the next day. That's a gift from God, the gift of compassion. I learned this by watching my daughter. I didn't actually see this, but my husband did. We were afraid that, you know, our kids were going to be affected so negatively by my disability. But then we saw something happen. Well, Mark saw something happen that changed our minds. And that is through this gift of compassion. Jenny, our oldest, was was caught in the act, playing at recess with a disabled boy in his wheelchair, twirling him around on the concrete. And we learned later from her teachers that this was something that Jenny did every day with this disabled boy. She learned the gift of compassion because of my disability. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And so I write about that, the gift of compassion. And then the gift of direction. You know, we don't know sometimes what direction to go. For instance, let's say we just got divorced. Someone divorced us. Or we just found out our partner cheated on us. Or we just lost our job. Whatever our form of suffering, we all have suffering. But whatever we go through, you know, God gives us these gifts. And we can gain direction by seeing how God leads us into a different way. You know, it's called the new normal. You know, we hear that the new normal, when we lose someone, that's, that's kind of the term that's used. And, you know, so that's our hope is the new normal. And our, I tell people, my, even though I'm disabled, my direction has been defined 
I was confused which direction to go before, but this disability caused me, gave me space to write a book. It defined my purpose. It brought me to a place where I know what I'm supposed to do because it's about all I can do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to fulfill my purpose. And I think when we go through suffering, we can find a new direction. And, you know, biblically, Paul, I mean, Paul was on a dirt road when he found his new direction. You know, he was persecuting and killing Christians. And now he's supposed to be telling people about Jesus and proclaiming him and he does but you know the story of Paul he had a thorn in his flesh and God used him to write more than half of the New Testament mm -hmm. despite his thorn that was his purpose and he fulfilled it and God used him to fulfill it and was there pain of course he was in prison when he wrote some of that but look at what we've gained as a result of Paul's change in direction. Mm -hmm. So those are just some of the things, you know, some of the highlights of chapters that I talk about with that. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So you went from being a mom, falling down the stairs, dealing with this pain and being away from your kids. And, um, you got to the point where you could actually start walking again. You went, you taught at the, the high school, which was a blessing to be with your kids again. But, um, now you find yourself again, not walking, but having the blessing of being able to sit and write this book and have the time to actually think through it. You know, so much of our lives are so busy when in the non-disabled world, you know, we're so busy, we're running here, we're driving there, we're taking our kids to every conceivable activity they could possibly do. And, you know, we're working and, and many of us do not even have the time to sit and do the deep thinking that you have had the blessing to to do and to actually take that and put that into a book and be able to share it with people. So I, I expect that reading the book, it'll be one of those books. I haven't read it yet, but I'm expecting that it'll be one of those books that as you read it, you're on learning things and you're, and you're thinking about things in a deeper way more than you would have reading something else. Am I close? Am I I feel that way. I mean, I always had a dream to write a book. I didn't imagine that it would be about suffering. I thought it'd be about sport nutrition or something, you know, about nutrition or, you know, anything but suffering. But, um, you know, my second disability happened at my daughter's wedding um, during cleanup. Thankfully, it didn't happen before. But we were cleaning up and a chair slid down a wall and hit my ankle, which reinitiated the CRPS. And 
that was three years ago. And most people thought it would be a sprained ankle. I knew in my heart, I cried all the way home um, because of the pain. And like I said, people with CRPS feel pain much more than a normal functioning person with normal nerves. Um, but this, this gave me an opportunity to sit. And I remember sitting down thinking, okay, well, maybe it's only six weeks, but maybe it's longer. So these six weeks, I'm going to deep dive into the book of Matthew. Mm -hmm. So I did. And I read and I read and I read. And I, I was reading about this upside down way of life. And that's where that started. And then I was, I was using my hands to transfer my body because my feet couldn't do it. So the CRPS really became inflamed in my hands. So I could use neither my hands nor my feet. So what can you do when you can't use your hands or your feet? You can pray. So that's all I did. I mean, I looked out our bedroom window. I'm in prison. This is a different house. We bought a house with a master bedroom on the main floor in case this ever happened. So I don't feel as imprisoned. But at this particular point in time, for two months, I sat in front of my bedroom window and cried and couldn't dry my tears. But, you know, who was there was my husband. And the second time around, we both have learned so much about the value of the upside of suffering. And one of the things that I talk about is our relationship and love, the gift of love. Because yes, Mark sat there and dried my tears and one day Jesus will dry my, you know. But Mark was by my side. He almost lost his job again because clients were dropping like flies because he said, you come first. He prioritized his loves. And so he sat there and took care of me. He lifted me on and off the commode, fed me, bathed me. I could do nothing. But that space that you were talking about in the silence I sat there and I prayed and God spoke, not audibly, but just through my spirit. And the suffering times really have formed me. They were formative into, you know, I've been through the fire and a lot of people have been through a lot worse than me. And, but they're being formed. When you go through suffering, you're being formed for a purpose. And pain is never wasted, no matter what you go through. I, I'm, I'm sorry if listeners are in the middle of some sort of suffering that they feel like is, is too much to bear. But I promise you, there, there is formation that's happening through flames. And Jesus is walking with you through the fire, and he can help heal whatever is hurting i truly believe that thank you for that encouragement because i know there are people listening who are in pain or they're suffering for some reason or another sometimes it's physical 
sometimes it's emotional or even mental. And, you know, you, you know, when you're walking down the street or you're walking into church or you're walking to work and you see people, you don't know what's happening inside them. You don't know what's happening once they go home. So, you know, it's just good, like you said, to be compassionate with people and be compassionate with yourself. That's a lot of what I'm seeing here is that one of the things you learned is to be compassionate with yourself because you went from right. being the helper to being the healthy. In other words, needing all the, the help and support and, you know, just being compassionate with yourself. Mm. I've never thought about that, Kimberly. Thank you. That's a, a gift that you've given me because I, I've not thought how that's transformed, you know, my compassion towards myself, but I have had to learn to be a recipient and, you know, all of us need to learn that one of my chapters in my book is actually called the gift of adoration. Mm -hmm. And it's about how God adores us. And I didn't learn that growing up because I didn't feel my dad adored me. Um, I did when, before he died, I did, which was just a couple of years ago. Um, the two years before he died, I felt like finally, you know, my dad adores me. But, you know, God adores each of us. He created us. He made us. He knows us better than anyone. And of course, he adores us. Like, I adore my kids. And I long to be with them when I couldn't be. He longs to be with us, too. And so we have to be open to receiving from him. He has so much to give us, but we have to open our hands and receive it, you know, and say, I don't know what I'm doing. Please help me. Right. Thank you. So I want to um, tell people where can they find your book? Just tell them the name of the book and where they can find it. Sure. It's called Beauty Beyond the Thorns, Discovering Gifts and Suffering. And it. I just found it on Barnes and Noble um, online. It's not in the brick and mortar yet, but um, it's on Amazon. And there's a study guide that goes with it to help, you know, you not just read the book, but participate and heal your own sufferings. And they don't have to be physical, even though mine's physical, there are commonalities, you know, that that we can learn from each other from. So there's a study guide for um, study groups, whether it be a Bible study or book club or independent study. And you don't need the workbook to go, or the study guide to go with the book. You can get the book and be fine without the study guide if you want to. So that's where you find it. Yeah. So just a personal question. What gives you the most happiness and fulfillment in your life at this point? Oh, family. Family. I'm a new grandma and I get to see Mark and I um, have figured out a way for me to help care for our grandbaby. And that is by caring for her together. So I sit on an exercise mat on the floor and lean against the couch. And then we have toys all around me and my husband's in the other room trying to work. And uh, 
So I send out the alert, baby falling, baby falling when he needs to come (laughs) and help. But the interesting thing is, is, is she stays by me. I was so afraid that once she was able to crawl or beginning to walk, which she is, that she would leave me. But she stays by me and God has worked that out. And I'm so grateful. So right now I'd say grandbaby, my kids and my husband and, you know, my brothers and sisters. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and, you know, sharing your story. And, you know, I hope anybody who's going through a painful or suffering time right now that they'll just take this to heart and, you know, and and reach out to someone if they need support. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me, Kimberly. I had a great time. Thank you. Yeah. So I have one last question. What is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? I'd say putting faith and trust in God. Um, You know, that's what I have done. And that's what has gotten me through my disability. I think changing our perspective in, you know, this upside down world, reading Matthew and, and seeing what Jesus is talking about, I think changing our perspective and um, being open to that because there's a lot there. Yeah, there really is. Well, thank you so much, Darcy. I've had a great time. Thanks, Kimberly. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye-bye.